the pressure needs to be put on those in power. And I'm not just talking political power, we're talking about corporate power as well. Just having the news attention on it is not the same as having like the, the audience are basically reading it. Yeah. Then it's not the same thing as the audience understanding it. Yeah. Dr. Sung T, media analyst, investigator, realist. Climate change is also a gender issue, a cultural issue, regional issue, a local issue. It's spread across differently and the impacts are going to be different for different people. The richest half of the world are responsible for 86% of greenhouse gas emissions and the poorest half for just 14%. Extreme weather patterns and rising sea levels are already forcing people to relocate. Industrialised nations need to spend far more to help developing countries cope with the impacts of climate change. The idea of the phrase protecting the environment being problematic because it kind of states or assumes that there's this like external threat rather than taking the ownership that like the threat is, is us, we have, have created that. Climate change, a surprisingly difficult subject to do an episode on. Mainly because the shelf life of climate research is so short. 12 months after something has been published, it might become completely void. Because while the macro, the climate crisis as a whole, remains constant, the micro is constantly changing and updating. And it's almost always bad news. And even if we feel informed about the climate, we often feel helpless to make change because it's all problems and only limited answers. Which leads to compassion fatigue. We feel informed, we care a lot, and we still do very little. And that's what this episode is about. How do we keep people interested in bad news? Let's ask the big questions with Dr. Sung T. This is PhD Unpacked. Before we get into your research, can you, I guess, start by telling us a little bit about your, your background and like how you ended up writing this PhD specifically? Okay, so I did a bachelor's um, in history and Spanish and then took a little break, then kind of, um, then did my honors actually in history. And then I took a little break and then realised that I kind of wanted something more practical in terms of, you know, like kind of background skills. And so I did a master's in comm, so in communication studies, then took another break. Then um, I think in 2016, came back from a stint working overseas, um, picked up a new job and I wasn't 100% sure where that was going. And then so um, I wrote a research proposal, I applied for a scholarship and then got that and then did my PhD. Um, in terms of the topic itself, mm. um, I think I've always, I've just always been really interested in terms of like the, like the, dis, the disjuncture between knowledge and action. You know, you would think that having one would lead to the other. Um, and so for me, I always, I think back in 2016, when I think about it, given the situation in terms of like what is happening in terms of global warming and climate change, that we weren't really doing what we should be doing. And so I kind of really wanted to get a better understanding as to why that possibly was the case. My, I think my research proposal at the time was um, something like compassion fatigue, the emotional burden of climate change. You know, as the research progressed and obviously the title changed, you just couldn't pin it down to compassion fatigue mm. in terms of inaction. And then so that's how the um, thesis kind of took its own shape and mm. form from there mm. onwards. And am I right in thinking that, did your masters have something to do with like public relations and greenwashing and stuff? So earlier in that postgrad process, you had sort of already got into mm. this world of like, how do we think about public relations of, of what is happening and how that information kind of passes down to other people, right? Yeah, I mean, I think um, my master's looked at um, specifically like coal mining mm. and, then, and then corporate public relations and then greenwashing. Um, and then so this one here looks more 
focus more on news representation mm. of it too. So obviously we, we use quite a lot of the same kind of um, ideas. Um, and then I also also interviewed journalists too. So I was trying to get more an idea about the representation mm. of it. I think it's worth pointing out that even though this topic, I guess, is like so omnipresent in society and culture, there, there can be terms that are used that people think mean the same thing and don't mean the same thing or vice versa and one thing that you you mentioned in your your phd is that sometimes people use global warming and climate change like interchangeably but actually those aren't necessarily the same same thing like one thing global warming causes the other climate change but then there's lots of different ways to frame like climate crisis climate emergency climate collapse climate breakdown the specificity of the words, like in the title, you chose climate crisis. Did it take you a long time to to, to choose that version of? I guess there's so many different ways that we we talk about what is going on. Like there's a whole history behind whether global warming or climate change um, was used, you know, in terms of public discourse. Initially, I think global warming was considered by some to be too too of an like an alarmist, you know, like the globe is warming. And then when you get stuff down to like climate change, you know, well, the climate changes. And then so it kind of seems like it was, it's more of a, um, I would say easier thing to digest for people. I think there was like an American strategist or something at that time too, didn't want, you know, much action to take place. And then so he put out a memo basically saying that, you know, we should use climate change more. You know, because it's more, it's easy. You know, it's less likely to get people concerned about it. So mm. that's also a thing too. That's why language and, and, and word choices are very important in terms of what they encompass. And I think climate crisis for me was a shift away from global warming and climate change. And then basically, I think it was more of a representation of actual state of crisis that we are actually in. Yeah. And yeah. then so I think for me that was what it was um, in terms of choosing that those two words together. It's interesting that you mentioned that person and, and their agenda <laughs> behind why why choosing one word over the other and I guess that kind of takes us nicely into where I want to start I guess with the state of play with your PhD is there's this really interesting phrase in your research about the linkages of power to communication process and it might seem strange but actually I guess I'm less interested in talking about the science of climate change and I'm more interested in talking about the the way that clim- the climate crisis isn't just about science and it's more about, not more about, but as much about capitalism and greed and consumption and consumerism and I guess big business and and power. That seems like a big part of your research, at least in, in some of the chapters stating that it's not just about the science, it's about who is communicating the discourse about what's going on right yeah i mean you know like if anything you know like if you if you want to identify a problem right you've got to find out what the cause of the problem is right and then so just basically saying what co2 emissions or greenhouse gas emissions and then what that's it like in terms of you got to start you know backpedaling a bit and trying to figure out how it got there why is it there and then for me i think you know when you when i keep taking it back further and everything it's just it's it's lifestyle Hmm. And, and the lifestyles that we've actually really got really quite comfortable with. Hmm. In terms of thinking about that, then we talk about what drives that kind of lifestyle, you know. And then so I think if you look at some of the um, scholars, talk about whether or not the difference between, you know, when you talk about a product and everything, it's like the use value of it, what we use it for, the exchange value, which is the price of it, and then we have something else which we call the symbolic value. Hmm. And so what it symbolizes to have that product or to have, or to have that experience. Um, and then so how all those are connected. And then for me, I think the thing with 
The problem with just looking at it from a science angle is the fact that you don't see the drivers and who, who stands to gain from this. You know, so when you buy something, when you use something, aside from you, like if it's a practical kind of kind of a thing, um, but then who else makes a profit from it? And then and then you, so when you start taking that back, and then some people are making a lot of money out of a lot of the things which are not necessarily, I would say, needed. So, you know, then we start having discussions about needs and wants and whether or not we are consuming more and more of the things that we, we want but we don't necessarily need. And is that at the expense of the, of, of the environment? And so I think this is where the whole consumerism kind of comes down to it. Mm. And then, I mean, you've got to be fair. I mean, I don't want to homogenise, like, kind of like, you know, consumption or, or people in general and everything. But we've gone to a stage where I think we've consumed a lot more than the capacity that the world basically obviously can handle. Mm. Um, and then so obviously consumption has consequences. I mean, you've got to take something out in order to create something and then at the end of it when you're using it as well and then also when you dispose of it and then when you use it, when you get something else again from it. And so it's it's a continuous cycle. So, you, so I think m- more needs to be kind of, you kind of really need to think of it as a whole entire complete from you know its inception to to its end and i think we just we a lot a lot of time we don't see that Mm. you know you don't see how i don't know like these items come to about you that's just here but when you break it down in terms of where they came from how how they came to be built and then put together there's something really interesting in one of the chapters about the idea of the phrase protecting the environment being problematic because it kind of states or assumes that there's this like external threat rather than taking the ownership that like the threat is is us we have have created that and i think there's an interrelation between that and what you've spoken about about the science because so much of humanity are not scientists when you break it down into numbers and co2 and greenhouse gases or carbon emissions it feels very other because the way we can process all those numbers is less than if you were to break it down into the idea of like power and greed and the way that we use the planet feels feels like something that we could and we should take more ownership of and i thought that was really interesting the the framing of it as like an external threat rather than something that well it's confronting you know i think everybody's kind of like aware that basically you know we have been called to like um think about how we live and that involves you know what we're buying, what we're using, how we're traveling, um, yeah, how, how we're keeping warm, what we're eating. Mm. So it, that in itself is quite confronting in terms of basically having to question um, or rethink basically how you live your life. Mm. There's also something interesting about, it's another concept you bring up, the this term, the obfuscation of nature, about, I guess, how these words like humanity and nature can kind of be portrayed in this like abstract way which limits people's ability to kind of understand the origin of of the crisis or 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 limits people's way to figure out like the, the problem is tangible and the solution is tangible that was really interesting to me the idea that humanity or or nature or the globe can has sometimes been portrayed in a way that's really like not wishy-washy, but in an intangible way. And so people aren't able to relate to it in, in a way that actually, in some ways, it is really tangible, right? It's it, The data shows you can point towards, how, as you said in the historical process, how did we get here and what can we do about it yeah. now? I hadn't thought about the idea that making something abstract makes, makes it harder to, I guess, relate to, deal with, react to. 
if you can think about it in terms of what you do, like it's a conscious choice as opposed to something that is just kind of like um, you just fall into, right? Mm. And then so I think, but because of that distinction and everything, then you've got to take responsibility for it. So that's what it is in terms of like confronting, in terms of seeing the order. You know, I think when I talk about human and nature, we talk about a lot of the time, you know, like humanity is like up here and nature is somewhere down here. It's subservient to human desires and needs and everything. And it can be, constri- you know, it can be molded into whatever we kind of want it to be. Mm. But then climate change is really challenging you that point of view, right? Because it's just saying, you know, wait a minute, like I've got my own ideas and, you know, we're in the midst of a crisis. You've got, you know, extreme weather events. You've got mountain water caps. You've got rising sea levels, and, and you know, and the list goes on. And so it's the idea that basically challenging what how we centre ourselves, which is, you know, which I, obviously we all understand that, you know, it's your world. You are important, and 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 so that's how you see it. But in reality, you've got to start thinking about, you know, what you inhabit. Hmm. And so basically, you inhabit. You know, it's technically, basically, you know, we inhabit the earth, not necessarily the earth inhabits us. Kind hmm. of a kind of a way of thinking about it. Hmm. In your research, um, part of what you did was analyze media articles from stuff from New Zealand Herald to look at how um, media had spoken about uh, the climate crisis. What did you find in that that research generally about the way that our media had tried to describe? I guess the climate crisis from a new from a New Zealand perspective, because I guess just fundamentally the those media companies are within New Zealand, even though the topic might be a global experience. In general, what what did you find in, in that research of, of those those um, articles? I think I found, well, I, yeah, I think I called it four structural absences, and so the first one was I think a long chronological view. So in terms of timeline, I think it was almost always kind of more in the present as opposed to drawing it back into the past. And so you know, if you if, if you have a longer view, you can understand how things come about more, and then how it just doesn't seem like an accident. Like we just didn't like it didn't just happen overnight, but it seems like that sometimes when it, the bits if it gets taken out of that kind of context. Mm. So, and that's another thing with the whole capitalism anyway, and as well and, and in terms of like consumption and everything, when you look at how fast it grew in terms of just what we were consuming and then obviously mm. the, the pollution and the emissions that we put out. Um, and so, you know, in a longer chronological kind of view of, 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 of the crisis, there's more accountability. I think tying into that too is just historical consciousness. Those that are kind of like least responsible for it you know, we're talking about those obviously living along the equator and we've got like poorer communities, marginalised communities. Those that are least responsible for it basically are suffering the most. Mm. And so that's why historical consciousness is very important. And then the second one um, I would have talked, oh yeah, about fossil capitalism. So in New Zealand there's a lot of focus on agriculture and agriculture mm. does contribute a lot um, to our, uh, you know, our emissions, but you don't really see the same emphasis placed on fossil. Fossil fuels are used to fossil fuels, um, and obviously, in terms of our sparse population, the amount of the amount of cars we have on the road, and actually quite a lot of old cars as well, um, and then also how unaffordable basically for a lot of people you know electric vehicles are mm. and whether or not our grid can support it as well fossil capitalism plays a big role in terms of slowing down the recognition of of the problem that we have i mean you've got a whole you know like a whole denial doubt and delay kind of like campaign that has been launched you know i think exxon's been used a lot in terms of an example um and so they you know their efforts obviously confuse 
they do confuse some people and they actually do sometimes slow it down as well in terms of the progress and then I think the third one was about forefronting solutions basically so I think the focus has been a lot about the science and, and a lot about the, the bad outcomes that are to come and everything and but the thing is if, if it's constantly framed in that way it's quite hard to engage um, and then because you're just reading bad news all the time and then after a while it becomes much of a muchness and then so it's important to also weave in you know proactive stuff too and then I mean there are a lot of things being done as well at the same time that you know, people are people are there are some that are very engaged in the issues and they are developing ways in which to make the, the, you know the earth a, a place that's more sustainable mm-hmm. and so obviously as, as well as looking at the the specific media representations you you did the really what I thought was the the potentially more interesting thing of of going and speaking to environmental uh, and science journalists themselves to discover how what their perspectives were on creating these pieces of media which I thought was really fascinating because in the past we've on PhD Unpacked we've done uh, episodes that have interacted with journalism but we haven't spent so much time uh, focusing on what it is like to be a journalist and their perspectives on how they can convey stories in a certain area what was that experience like were you always gonna speak to the journalists like when you figured that you're gonna look at um new zealand media representations had you always planned to go and and speak to people or did that come later in your kind of process and, and you thought actually this is just as important um, I actually, um, I actually really wanted to talk to all the sources in, in the news articles, but it got quite hard to try and get people to show up or get people to talk to me. And so the journalists was were kind of easier in terms of getting to, to talk to me. But then also I did find that basically by the time I got, I actually I think I started interviewing them around 2019, and then I think we were in the midst of. Um, COVID and then so it was quite hard to wrangle them like took some of them to come like well, you know, we didn't end up doing phone phone interviews mm-hmm. um, to talk to me but then also um, a lot of people had moved on so it kind of really in some respects uh, talked to the nature of the work itself mm-hmm. um, and yeah no I think I, 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 I really wanted a whole kind of like more of like a holistic kind of view of it so you see the, what's been written but what goes into informing it and um, whether or not whether or not it's a true reflection of, of what somebody actually um, thinks of, of the issues mm. or what they've been asked to talk about. So that was what I wanted. Um, and then in terms of journalists, I thought it would just be more complete just to see you know, what their struggles are, what their challenges are in terms of making a news item. And some, sometimes too, I think when you just read a piece, you just see it as a, as a piece and everything. You don't really think about what really goes into mm. it. Um, and whether or not, I suppose... You know, in terms of the limitations that I found in, in the news media, whether or not they've had thought of it as well, but it's just something that basically the culture of the newsroom doesn't really want. Yeah. You know, and then so just getting a better understanding of stuff, I think that was the real reason about it in terms of just um, doing those interviews. Because it would have been quite, I, I would, I don't want to say it would have been easy to do anything. This is all framed within years of research within your PhD, but I guess it would have been easier to analyse the uh, the media representations. Simply say they need to do better and like mm. draw a line under that. It's a more nuanced conversation to say the media articles are limited, but actually here are potentially some reasons why, and it's not as simple as saying journalists need to do a better job. That can absolutely be true but it seemed like in your findings from speaking to those journalists 
they fundamentally found it really challenging to convey that kind of news to audiences. And that kind of brings us to, to the crux of what we find so fascinating about your PhD, about it being so hard to convey the climate crisis to people. Is that, was that pretty, pretty clear amongst everyone that you, you spoke to about how difficult that job is? Yeah, I mean, the nature of the issue... You know, it's really, it's kind of really hard to engage. I mean, it's it's moved on quite a lot from from what it was back mm-hmm. in the day, and, and and journalism itself has moved back in the day. I mean, back in the day, everybody would, you know, you would there's such there was this thing about balance. You know, like you would need to like say every side of the story in order to make it seem like it, it was. What, that people weren't taking sides or that the journalists or, or that news institution wasn't taking side and I think that for a long time did, did like kind of stalled the advancement of climate change because for a long time for a long time people were still debating if it was actually happening mm. and then so for balance somebody would always put somebody that agreed with climate change and then somebody that disagreed with climate change and then but then over time when you realize that there are about like what 95 people that agree and about four you know four or five people that don't agree so you can't you know balance started that whole idea about balance started being a bit challenged and then so that so we kind of shift away from that and then also like most of the journalists are science or environmental journalists and then so for me I, I think they predominantly um, stuck to those kind of areas mm-hmm. and so that to me was quite a limitation um, but you can almost understand why they stuck to those areas because those are, are their areas um, and then also I think trying to convey to people it, um, which I think the issue itself just talking about pollution way of living and um, was just hard to like find different ways to talk about the same thing there are certain peaks of when news would be reported on so generally during like the climate summits or you know if you're getting extreme weather events so the, all those kind of things are basically when you start talking about or start writing about climate change um and then the reportage is basically almost the same you always get some you know it would still be a bad outcome you yeah. know technically you know we're still screwed like yeah. Yeah. six months later a year later we're still screwed you know yeah. and then so it's like what what else can they write or how else can they frame that yeah. and so i think they also found you know those kind of things um to be quite hard as well and then there's stuff like the you know emissions trading scheme which is very a very mixed bag of things um which do not make sense to quite a lot of people Mm. capturing people's attention Mm. is just it's hard yeah figuring out that that specific access point to everyone is different and has a different level of understanding and people obviously live as you said like different lifestyles so creating news pieces that can can hit to to every specific individual that is is engaging in that news must be really difficult and one thing that you 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 spoke about was this term info glut which i thought was really interesting i guess just the idea that the saturation of climate crisis media has potentially reached a point where there's just too much information and as you say if it's all just six months later we're screwed six months later we're screwed six months later we're screwed we as humans aren't great at continuing to to be bombarded with it and actually maybe somewhere along the line we just reached a saturation point and for the vast majority of people you just start to, to switch off because you accept that we're in a situation but because you're reading about it hearing about it so constantly we don't want to engage with it anymore or maybe we just we can't engage with it anymore because there's just so much of it that that was something that I definitely felt true to like mm-hmm. just the specifics of my own personal experience. Yeah, it's definitely hard to stay engaged if they're constantly reporting it basically the same. Yeah. So that's where the whole entire thing about you know you, you need different what you need to frame it 
in different ways you need mm. to bring up different issues you need to like look at what's what's been done elsewhere the solutions the happy news it's well, it's like with anything you look at the you know the coverage of the ukraine war mm. that's just a recent example right you know there was a point where it was everywhere you know and now it's still happening but do you get the same attention but it's basically i think it speaks to the fact that news you know it's also a corporate good right mm. and whether or not people are actually tuning into those issues and so that's also a reason why they start to disappear from the headlines um and whether or not there's anything new to it too you know if it's the same you know the same as it ever was kind of reporting people are really not gonna you know there's so much information out there and there's so much things that you can consume now why would you read the same thing over again mm. or the same depressing fact again mm. um so if there's nothing new to it there's no novelty to it it's not really impacting people in terms of like the here and now so yeah the issue with climate change change because I think a lot of it, like the science has been established and that, you know, climate change in terms of what is changing in terms of, you know, the weather um, is already kind of established. It's just basically the magnitude and the rate of change, which mm. everybody's talking about. Mm. And then obviously the scale of, of the impacts and the harm. Or it might be, and this is something that's, that's in your research, not so much that they don't care. Yeah. And that, of course, there are people that fit into that box. But what I found really interesting was the idea you raise about I guess apathy coming from the fact that people feel informed and because they feel informed more so than they were in the past or perhaps more informed compared to people around them something happens in us that because we feel more informed on a subject it feels like we have made a difference like the idea of you you know your your social conscience has to some level um been cleaned but knowing being more informed about something doesn't necessarily translate to to someone taking more more action, and that that was sort of a light bulb moment to me. I was like, the Ukraine war being a good example. You you go from a point of not knowing to to knowing slightly more, and it feels like you have engaged with an issue to some degree, and then the next step doesn't always happen. That was really fascinating to me, that idea of like apathy or like inadvertent apathy coming and that idea of like passive knowledge, which I, I think overlaps with that idea of compassion fatigue to, to some extent, right? Like the, the, you become desensitized to something and you feel more informed about it. And then like you kind of disengage because you feel like you haven't, you, you have become more educated, but then sometimes it just like trails off. Yeah, no, I mean, like, yeah, climate change is a definite, like, an emotional journey. Okay, so there'll be moments where basically you will be a whole lot more proactive, and there'll be moments when you're completely quite pessimistic about everything. And then so you can mistake certain. I think you can mistake certain things, like you said, you know, like knowledge for actually, like, like you're actually doing something. You could you could buy a new light bulb, which saves more power, but then you can leave the light on the whole entire day and night, you know, and whether that's kind of like, kind of counterintuitive. It's a lot of competing interests sometimes too, you know, where you just feel like if you read it, you understand it, I know it, you know. But there's also, you can always, there's a lot of things you can fall into too, basically, you know, there are other people doing it, who's, other people looking after it. There's, there are people that are paid to solve this kind of issues. Um, you know, political leaders are here, so basically, you know they're going to be you know they're tasked to, to you know if it's a big problem they'll deal with it you've got you know you've got heaps of kind of like ways out for people to console themselves with their inaction it feels like i, I don't know what the period of time is five ten fifteen years as you see it there was a period of time within news where it was 
providing both sides of the the story. Mm. Is climate change here? Is it real? By no means am I stating that everyone in the world, everyone in New Zealand believes in climate change. We know that's not true. Even if it is only 5%, Mm. we know that's not true. It feels like we're more landed in this place where a majority of people, or at least far more than 5, 10, 15 years ago, believe climate change to be existing, can point to certain issues that, you know, in everyday life contribute to that, whether it is uh, consumption of meat, emissions from cars. The, the, the Joe, Joe Public layman New Zealander is way more informed that we than we used to be. Everyone might be making incremental change, but it doesn't necessarily mean that what has happened in the last however many years has an action matched the amount of knowledge changing that has gone on for people. Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at global emissions, um, you know, they have been rising. I mean, if you look at our emissions itself, I think from like 1990 to 2021, basically, they're growing on average 0.6%, you know, a year. And then so basically, you know, we are not doing enough. Um, so even though we feel like we have, um, and then, yeah, I mean, in some cases, some people might be doing a lot, okay? And then so, you know, the question is whether or not, you know, as a society, as as a country, are we doing enough, like, now mm. in terms of, and then if we're not, how can that be made more easy? Mm. And then so that's is where your structural change and, and, and the, you know, institutional mm. infrastructure change and everything that needs to take place. Mm. Um, leaving it up to the individual, while, while it's important, is possibly not going to get us there to yeah. where we need to get. Yeah, and that's one of the... In your research, you, you point to a whole lot of reasons, both from other academics who've... who've you know, pointed out the different reasons, traits, why it's difficult to engage with the climate crisis. And you also, in your own analysis, sort of provide your own list. One of those reasons that you provide is that people can understand and care a lot and still do very little. And that can be for a whole lot of reasons. Uh, What they do can be like, tokenistic or people can see the issue believe something needs to happen but feel completely helpless there's the classic well i i know the stat isn't going to be right but like 80 percent of the world's emissions come from x number of corporations that you know i've had those conversations with people and it can be pretty hard to fault that line of of thinking like when we know that for the most part these massive corporations are doing the most damage it's all very well for an individual to understand what's going on and know what they can do in their own lifestyle to make change. But that, I think the words you, you describe as environmental m- melancholia, that idea that like, it just, it seems so terrible that even if you're, you're pretty informed, it's kind of understandable that, that you might feel like you can't actually make that much of a difference. Yeah, no, I mean, it's true. I mean, the, the future is pretty bleak. You know, and then like, uh, like I would say, you know, obviously, like, I'm a pretty pessimist person, right? But still, you know, like I'm here, mm. six, seven o'clock at night on a Sunday, still and trying to talk to you, <laughs> yeah, still talking to you about it. And then so that's the thing too. I think it's important, regardless, you know, like climate change is kind of shrouded in a lot of negativity, mm. and rightfully so. But yeah. 
it doesn't have to be just that. Yeah. You know, I mean, the future is still kind of still up in the air. Yeah, yeah. sure, it looks pretty bad and everything, yeah. but I still think that there's an opportunity for change. Yeah. Um, and there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of opportunities for a lot of different kind of change. And so yeah. I think it's important to kind of see it as, a, as also a chance for a different kind of future. Yeah. Okay, so, you, you know, there's a lot of things that can still be shaped. You know, we're talking about changing, basically, you know, our electricity, our transport, in terms of even our interactions of day-to-day life, you know, in terms of even basically you know, how our food systems are mm. so there's a lot of change that can happen and then you can actually steer into a, a bigger you know better brighter kind of future yeah. than what's basically looking ahead to us right now yeah so basically yeah i think it's important i think it's important to still invest in the future yeah and part of that is this conversation that we're having and and what your research investigates is we need to figure out why people can can care and want to make change but but don't or, or can't like like what is it that is in our humanity that makes us feel so uh unable to make change and, and you know how can we slightly ch- reframe what is going on with the climate crisis and how that relates to like any given individual depending on where they are in life what they do for a job where they live like how i don't know i don't know it's because I don't know when you when you say that it makes me think it th- makes me think of this line you know from Stanley Cohen we're talking about like just having the, the news attention on mm. it is not the same as having like the, the audience are basically reading it yeah. then it's not the same thing as the audience understanding it yeah. so basically it's it's important to know that there are limits in terms of like just individual limits in terms of even just communication limits mm. and everything and so this is where it's like it's very important to think in a bigger kind of picture kind of frame and that's why if you can if your your options are only something that are, that are sustainable that's environmentally friendly then that takes the thinking out of it and so this is where it's important in terms of basically who governs the country who rules you know like in terms of the climate policies that we have and mm-hmm. so if it takes up because like people are short on time people are short on money too okay and then so sometimes like even in like being trying trying to be environmentally friendly can cost quite a lot, mm. and then there's the time where I have to sit there and compare, you know, in terms of what I'm buying and where it's from and, and what's in it and everything, and then that just takes time, you know. Mm. And then so really, these choices should be easy. Yeah, it's only when changes are made that days, months, years later, you realise that a change has been made. Like I was at the veggie market the other day, and I said to my partner, I was like, remember when we just we just bought our shopping with like plastic bags and you know i think in definitely in wellington i'm not sure if, sure if it's in new zealand like single use uh like plastic food packaging has just been like it is now like it's just happened and and in those moments you know there are always the people that have will say like i oh, will compare that to all the like deep sea oil drilling it's mm-hmm. just like a drop in the, the ocean but it's not until you kind of realize how much things have changed down the line you go oh actually that is something that we we used to do and we just decided to change it and like that one day where i realized that we hadn't had plastic bags for however long like that actually did fill me with a little bit of hope because it made me remember that we were in place a and we just don't do that anymore and i think it is it is possible to find like little moments of of positivity because as as you say if it's all just negative from from the media from how we feel about ourselves and our own like individual lifestyles that doesn't doesn't necessarily turn into more action being made i guess it's just trying to find new ways to like come up with 
small matters that feel like they make a difference yeah it's that, i guess it's just this constant balancing of of how we think about the big picture and how we think about our own small role that is this constant cycle that i imagine most people in the 95 percent that are trying to process this huge crisis like we just deal with with on a daily a point in the uh, in your research i think it's in your second chapter you you do actually talk about like effective climate change communication and how can we how can we approach this in a way that is is striking that balance between like underplaying the problem and like overselling the problem and mm. finding that that gray area and i thought i'd read out the the seven kind of key principles that uh, are stated and and maybe get your thoughts on that list as an as a whole um, the first is to know your audience the second to get your audience's attention the third beware of the overuse of emotional appeals fourth address scientific and climate uncertainties five tap into social identities and affiliations six encourage group participation and seven make behavior change easier are there any of those that kind of stand out to you in particular i guess it's been a couple of years since you've published your research you know as how you think about like how we can make more um i guess positive climate crisis communication because it has been a few years and obviously you spent a significant period of time thinking about that where you are now in relation to your research how do you think about this this world of like how can we communicate about what's going on in a way that is not necessarily better i don't love that word but is maybe more positive effective has the ability to make more change i don't know how to phrase it yeah i think it really just depends like it's really important to know your audience that's what i like i think it's kind of heightened to me more is basically know your audience and where they're at you know it's very and then it's also important to clarify any kind of like misunderstandings persisting in some discussions where i feel like you know if, if you get somebody who does not believe in climate change it's just better to ask them questions you know mm. in terms of get, get get an understanding of of of, of how they see things and, mm. and why and i guess to tie this conversation back to the the element of your research that was about you know looking at how the new zealand media writes about the climate crisis do you think that i guess generally media i guess outside of the phd just the way that you exist in your everyday life and and you know you experience climate crisis media in the same way that we do in new zealand do you feel like more of the focus has become on on solutions small things that we can do like do you think there's been a change since the 2017 when the articles were written a few years later when you were doing the research to kind of hear where we are now do you think that has changed at all i do think so um i think there's a whole lot i think when i was when i was looking at it there was there weren't even sections on, on the environment and there is now you know there are teams as well and i think when i was actually looking at it, i think they was just started like stuff had just started like a, a two i don't know if you call that a team but it was a two-person kind of um crew um and now you get headings you know you get like you know if you if you go and like on the website, the news website, they've actually got the headings for like the environment and you know and, and, and climate change, um, and then so I think yes, and then also I think also that the nature of news has changed a bit as well. Mm. Um, so you will find that there, there's a lot more opinion pieces. So in that regards, there's more license to to, to say stuff in, in, in terms of you know in terms of prescription of prescribing mm. kind of like remedies for you know having an opinion where you think you know journalists are not. not 
it's not really about them asserting their opinion. I mean, they can assemble stuff and then kind of like put it out in a certain way and everything, but they're not, it's meant to be, you know, news is factual. What news is now has changed because also based, I think like the way in which the progression of the digital platforms as well, mm. like the basically the media environment has mm. changed. And I think the news organizations and news institutions are catching up with that and then audi- audience interest as well in terms of what kind of news they're reading and yeah. so i do think it is definitely changing from what it was yeah because it feels like we were there was a point in time where it was all just here is the science that you don't want to you don't want to know because it, it paints the, the awful picture and sure you know stuff still comes out that that portrays what's going on and a not in a new way, but uh, I guess new content. Like I think of the the latest, I think it's David Attenborough's Our Planet 2. You know, all it takes mm. is for Netflix to drop five new episodes with his wonderful voice and the pictures of the animals where their climate is clearly changing for like a, a visual reminder of like new content that plants that in people's conscious uh, in a way that, is, fr- is framed in a way that's easier to consume than like a stuff article all of a sudden like, it's on Netflix and it's shot and produced and narrated beautifully there is like a constant refresh of of that but to complement that it feels like I'm I'm reading more of the like like this change makes this much difference doing this makes this much rather than the I don't know five years ago where it did feel like here are the glacier stats here are like uh, the rising sea level stats yeah, no, I also think it's just that people are a whole lot more aware now as yeah. well in terms of basically what works in terms of communicating to people. Yeah. You know? And then that's so why I think they are adapting to the, the change. I mean, I think yeah, so I think people are more um, in tune mm. with what people want yeah. and, and, and what speaks to people more. And then so I think, you yeah, so I think like the the docos you know even like yeah for example yeah if you look at like the way in which they represent statistics now you know mm. the infographics and everything that's completely changed from what it mm. used to be too yeah and then so i think people are, uh so i think the news itself is also getting a whole lot more visual you know yeah. more, more interactive and, and it should be to engage people more yeah so much of this is trying to balance the here and now versus the there and then versus what was in the past in terms of how we we got here maybe one of the few hopeful things we can do to remind ourselves that we are capable of making change is to actually realize the fact that if we were in a room where say there are 100 New Zealanders and now like 96 of those people believe that climate change is happening and and are probably doing at least one thing different from a lifestyle than they did five years ago that is actually progress compared to then what it was 10 years ago and and we spend so much time focusing on the fact that we must continue to make change which we do have to and we don't want to actually recognize that or or maybe we should just recognize that humans are capable of changing in their actions yeah i mean yeah i think it's yeah it's definitely like a a pendulum you know you've got your um yeah you've got the hope and the fear right um but it's it's one of the things where you just you can't be weighed down by the fear but then mm. you can't be kind of like oblivious and in, in, in the optimism that's coming ahead yeah. so it's yeah. striking a balance i think you can you, you know you can visit each realm now and then but it's important just to come back into the center and then just focus on what you can do and then I, yeah focus on what you can do mm. uh, talk about the issues participate you know in, in your community you know, there's elections there's local elections there's national elections you know show up to things ask questions you know and so definitely engage you know be be 
be engaged with the issue. If you're not, if you don't know something, look it up, you mm-hmm. know, or ask somebody about it. Um, and then do what you can. My thesis is that the pressure needs to be uh, put on those in, in power. And I'm not just talking political power. We're talking about corporate power as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to come in to, to talk to us today, to talk to me about, about your, your research. I know it's been a couple of years since it was published, and I imagine it must be... It, I don't want to say it, it brings back up some things that you had to think about for a few years, but I just want to say thank you so much for, for coming in to talk about it because I know it's a huge piece of work that covers a whole lot of different things. Um, so, yeah, fr- from us, um, thank you so much for coming in and, and giving your time to, to talk about it. The PhD is Confronting the Climate Crisis in New Zealand, News Representation and Problems of Political Action. Dr. Santin, thank you so much for coming on PhD Unpacked. Thank you for having me. Thanks for watching this episode from Season 3 of PhD Unpacked. For previous episodes from this season and Seasons 1 and 2, check us out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as other listening platforms. And follow us, PhD Unpacked, on Instagram and TikTok.